0: The country of Indonesia, do they like me in Indonesia?
1: 100% confident Indonesia will prevail.
0: Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Gemma Purdy from the Australia Indonesia Centre. Today's topic is energy and climate change. One of the world's largest CO2 emitters, Indonesia is also the fifth largest producer of coal, both for export and for its own domestic use. Indonesia has signed up to the Paris Climate Accord and pledged to reduce its emissions and take other measures to arrest climate change. But with a growing economy and energy demands increasing by almost 5% annually, the challenges are significant can Indonesia shift from its overwhelming dependence on fossil fuels and coal in particular? Is there a future for renewable and sustainable energy in Indonesia? To talk over these questions and others is my guest, Emmanuel Bria at the Natural Resource Governance Institute. Hello, Emmanuel. Thank you for being there and welcome to Talking Indonesia.
1: Hello, Gemma. Thank you for inviting me to this uh, Talking Indonesia.
0: Welcome. Emmanuel at the moment we you know we're very aware that for many countries energy production the extraction of resources is a key issue that is being included in their discussions about climate change and how we approach it and face up to the challenges of climate change what's the situation in indonesia among particularly Indonesia's political and business elites, but also within the general community? What's the sentiment in both of those circles?
1: Yeah, thank you, Jima, uh, for asking that question. Uh, this is uh, like you know, a global condition that uh, many countries are facing now, that uh, on one hand, uh, with uh, declining uh, oil and gas prices, uh, at the same time, uh, with the climate change agenda on the table, with uh, uh, many governments uh, tying up into the Paris Agreement, there's a double pressure to these governments on how to come up with uh, a smart solution, so that on one hand, they can fulfill their energy to their communities and their people, but uh, on the other hand, they can still comply with the uh, commitments that they make as part of the Paris Agreement. As for Indonesia, uh, it is a unique situation for Indonesia now because on one hand, Indonesia oil and gas production is declining as well as for the coal production as well. So Indonesia is facing energy insecurity for now and also in the future. And so far, Indonesia is highly dependent on the fossil fuel, oil, gas, as well as coal sector. But on the other hand, there is less investment coming in to make sure that Indonesia is able to tap into this, to be able to supply its energy needs. So that is one challenge. Another challenge is on the climate change. Indonesia is one of the big producers of coal. Of course, the impact on the environment is huge. And a major consumer of the coal sector is, of course, China, India, and a majority of Indonesian coal production is actually going out for export. There is a, the so-called domestic market obligation where coal companies are obliged to uh, provide coal to uh, Indonesian electricity company in order to provide electricity to communities. So, I mean, this kind of double challenge for the government has triggered discussion within the policymakers on how Indonesia is going forward. So the question that Indonesia, Indonesian government is facing now is one whether you you want to lower your sort of access in order to track more more investment into the country, into the oil, gas, and coal sector, or you want to shift the way you consume energy from fossil fuel to renewables and how to go forward. And in fact, the National Development Planning Agency or uh, BAPENAS has come up with a report called toward low-carbon development, which actually outlined the way forward for Indonesia, that on one hand, you still want to have a good economic growth with more efficient energy consumption with lower carbon production in in Indonesia. So, yes, indeed, that is uh, actually an ongoing discussion within the policymakers, as well as in the business cycle as well. You can see that uh, coal producers are quite a lot in Indonesia, mm-hmm. and most of this coal production is actually exported to China and also to India. But also, you know, looking at the business side, you know, how they can survive in the long term, given the risk of stranded assets, that less investment coming in in the coal sector due to the climate change agenda. They are thinking also about the so-called clean coal, mm-hmm. you, know, for, you know, so that they can still in the business, but also cleaning up the sector in order to meet the climate change agenda. So, yeah, the discussion is actually there in the Indonesian business and political circle.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about in general, in the, within the community? What's informing their view of climate change?
1: Yeah, especially in the producing areas where, like in East Kalimantan, where many coal mining are operating there. Of course, the quality of uh, air is very low, and there's uh, lots of environmental impacts there. So of course, community uh, wants to uh, see a different approach to the way they use energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the government uh, step by step, providing like solar system to, to the households, etc. Mm-hmm. So uh, of course, in general, people are still consuming uh, electricity coming from coal. But I think there is also a strong sentiment to shift as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, of course, it takes time because it's something to do with the behavioural change uh, and mindset from the people.
0: Yeah, I read that you you said somewhere earlier this year in a conference that about this very point was that whilst the government is setting targets for renewables, it's still a very market-driven sector and so for people price is perhaps more important than looking to renewables. Is that right?
1: Uh, yeah. So there are uh, challenges for investment in the renewables. So the government has a target for energy mix to reach thirty-three uh, percent of the renewables in the in the Indonesian energy mix. But uh, at this point, it's only about seven percent. So uh, I think the challenge there is basically because the coal sector is still highly subsidized by the government in terms of the money as well as uh, regulation. So that already becomes uh, a challenge to grow the renewable sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one is, of course, like in any general other sectors in Indonesia, is something to do with the stable policy. Policy uncertainty is there that is actually uh, a major investment risk for investors with put their money in the renewable sector. And the third one is actually uh, whether you know investors can make money, uh, given the regulations that the uh, government introduced uh, in Indonesia, especially when it comes to kaipong Power purchase prices. So yeah, this is a challenge that uh, Indonesia has to resolve in order to to grow more invest investment in the renewable sector.
0: Yeah, because as you're outlining, it is a, it's a it's a business proposition, and, but also very much a highly regulated environment. Can you say a little bit more there? You mentioned the policies and, uh, regarding coal and the uh, amount, the special provision that uh, a certain amount of coal produced in Indonesia needs to be set aside for the domestic market. Attached to that policy or regulation is also some kind of subsidy or fixed price. Can you explain that for me?
1: Yeah, of course. So in order to meet the needs for electricity, Indonesia, of course, still needs a lot of coal to supply because it's still coal-based electricity in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So the need for a uh, domestic market is there, but the government actually introduced a subsidized price, basically, uh, which actually raised uh, questions from the investors and also companies uh, whether this is good enough for business or not. Like, for instance, the government through BAPNA's targets to meet domestic energy supply, DMO, by 60% of national production, if you refer to the 2015 and 2019 midterm development plan. Now, in 2018 alone, the domestic market obligation is targeted to reach 32%, but it is not a reach, it's only reached about 31%. So one issue related to the DMO or domestic market obligation is like, you know, PLN got a special price. So as I said before, mm-hmm. uh, a subsidized price for total coal production mm-hmm. of 425 million metric tons in 2018. So the new problem arises from this DMO policy is that coal producers disagree with the DMO rules of at least 25% uh, cut price to PLN. There was some, you know, unstable policy as well, Mm -hmm. and then uh, which makes uh, coal producers and and, and the government and and also PLN, the electricity company, have to uh, negotiate as well, you know, how they they can resolve it. But until now, I think it's still become a, a problem that, you know, on one hand, the government wants to make sure that coal is used domestically, but the challenge for the coal producers is that They want to get a market price, uh, like, you know, as compared to when they export it.
0: Yeah, because they're running a business. But the government then negotiated also this price cap on the coal, which, as you mentioned, is like a subsidy. And this has been criticised by a lot of sources including in particular those that are pro-renewables and sustainable um, energy supplies, right? Because in a way what you're doing is you are shutting out renewables because you're fixing a price, a lower price on fossil fuel or coal-sourced electricity. Is that right?
1: Yeah, actually, I mean, as I said before, the government policy is still coal-based policy, especially for the for the energy sector. I think, uh, first of all, I think the rationale why it is pretty much coal-based because it's easier to produce coal, it's cheaper. It's in Kalimantan uh, as compared to, you know, have to develop uh, uh, like, you know, other uh, renewable sector. Um, and also that, you know, the energy system has been there using coal system for quite some time. So the transition from the coal sector toward more diversified energy to the renewables, of course, will will also take some time as well. You know, and um, there must be some adjustments that uh, the businesses and government, also state-owned companies, have to make.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Indonesia is not on its own in being dependent on coal and here in Australia that precisely I think around the same percentage of our energy needs come from coal, around 60% or so. But in Indonesia at the moment, as you said, it's only around about 7% of energy that's coming from renewables. So what does the future look like? How do you get from, you know, how does this transition go? How is Indonesia planning or plotting to move forward to grow renewable energy I think Indonesia
1: can only do that by addressing uh, problems with the policy, uh, as well as uh, on the prices. So, if the government can incentivize investors with more stable policy in the renewable sector, long-term plan like you know at least for twenty to thirty years, where investors can calculate you know how much return that they will get in the long term. Um, I think that is that is possible, mm-hmm. uh, but for now I think that is the challenge with the Indonesia because of how the government is structured. Basically, uh, there are a number of different departments uh, in the government that deal with one sector, and coordination has always been a challenge for these different government branches. Um, and so you have central governments, national government. Uh, Indonesia has this uh, the so-called National Energy Council, or Dewan Energy National, which sets out targets. And then they have Papanas, which actually provide much more policy-oriented uh, target towards shift from central government up to sub-national level government. But the challenge there is actually the implementation, uh, the execution of these policies. Uh, and that sometimes have created a challenge for the companies or investors. Uh, to execute, you know, how where where they actually have to go mm-hmm. so when it comes to developing renewables going forward.
0: Right. Because it's been on the agenda for a while and only in the last week or so uh, Jokowi spoke about the need or will his support for the idea of reducing Indonesia's dependence on coal and increasing renewables but this is coming from obviously from the level of the president and the sentiment is good but what you're describing is that in practical terms in terms of implementation and getting through all the red tape it's it's far bigger challenge
1: yes agree and that is quite classic in Indonesia. That you know, it has to that when the president issue a policy, then from the top, of the the bottom will follow. You know, lots of negotiations from different political players, business players, from central to the subnational level, and it's quite a complex system.
0: Emmanuel, I was wondering if, in terms of the public's kind of response or thinking on climate change, have you noticed a shift in Indonesia in general, and maybe in particular among young people?
1: Yes, uh, the young people are quick learners, they can adjust to new changes and they are actually sitting on the end of the global networks and internet connection, social media, Facebook, Twitter, so uh, YouTube, so they're very quick to access new development, new trends, new global trends and easy to adjust to to the change, including uh, on the issue of climate change. And in fact, it's not only uh, the young people, um, but also in the players as well. For instance, the company for Bluebird, Taxi Bluebird, they recently launched uh, electricity car. Mm-hmm. Or oh, like, you know, uh, there's a state of enterprise specialized for the production of uh, renewables, uh, your solar panel, electricity cars, etc. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is still, you know, a test to the market and see how the market responds. Mm-hmm. But the challenge with that is actually, you know, with the with the coming of this new technology, with the new energy, uh, there's a challenge to the other companies like you know a state-owned electricity company, which for so long using uh, coal sector, mm. or Pertamina, the state enterprise in the oil and gas sector. You know, they find themselves in a challenging situation as well. You know, like you know, they want to compete with this new uh, business in the renewable sector. So this is something that is quite interesting and there is a dynamic as well within the young people, the community, the government, as well as in the business cycle as well, including in the government state-owned enterprises. Yeah. So I think there there is some movement there, but I think it will take some time before it becomes a major player in the energy sector in Indonesia.
0: Yeah. Is the government offering? any kinds of incentives to investors in renewables? We mentioned that obviously it's got this subsidy for the coal industry in in order to stabilise electricity supply. But what about renewables? Is the government thinking about doing anything to encourage renewable energy production?
1: One big potential for Indonesian renewables is geothermal energy. And I think one policy challenge with geothermal energy is because most of the resources is actually in the conservation forest. Uh, which actually becomes a challenge when you want to develop uh, a geothermal in this lo- specific location. So you know, government introduced with uh, a bit of policy change, which actually allow companies to explore potential of this type of forest. I see.
0: Um,
1: I think that is one one incentive that uh, the government is actually providing. Right. Uh, but of course, uh, the policy incentive is good but also the government have to think about you know the kind of prices that they have to introduce so that business can make profit
0: exactly got to be able to compete with the coal generated energy prices and all of that so you mentioned geothermal and the other one is hydro which is is there in indonesia as a renewable source but solar and wind are basically negligible there is no real presence is that right
1: yeah uh- but uh, recently, there is an introduction of a new kind of technology from PT Lens. It is a uh, state-owned enterprise working on the renewable sector, which actually they can reach out to people in the remote areas, especially in the eastern part of Indonesia. Because normally, these people are not living like in a residence; uh, their house scatter all around. Uh, but uh, they can, like you know. Provides like one grid, which actually can serve different households. Um, so uh, yeah, this is growing, and like you know, recently they have uh, partnership with uh, with the West Java government, and also they are expanding as well to the eastern part of Indonesia.
0: Right. Okay. So there's smaller, more local, locally based initiatives from state government, and even more local than that. That's kind of filling in some of those gaps. I see. That's really interesting. Okay. So the challenges remain to think about, you know, what are the incentives to get more large-scale renewables coming into the system? Among the kind of things that are being talked about as potential incentives to encourage renewables, is there discussion of putting a tax on the non-renewable or so-called dirty kind of sources of energy?
1: Not yet so far, uh, the discussion, especially on the fossil fuel. You mean like, you know, putting more taxes to incentivize uh, investment in yeah. the fossil fuel sector. Yeah. Um. No, that's not. That's not. Uh, on the other hand, actually, government provide more incentives. That's
0: right. It, that's the thing. That, so that's what I find very interesting, that currently, yes, Indonesia's in a bit of a bind, because on the one hand, you, you have Jokowi talking about, yes, we need to wean ourselves off coal. And on the other hand, because the economy is so dependent on a stable electricity supply, they are, in a way, subsidising the coal industry, and so coal is winning out. And so it's a bind, and it's a bind that not only Indonesia is in, but other coal producing countries are in also because it's just an easy thing. It's an easy option to look to coal, I guess is the thing. So in Indonesia at the moment, I mean, there's this rapid growth in the consumption of electricity. I think it was something like 4.9% growth last year. So there's an incredible demand that has to be met. Are you feeling positive about that being met by renewables? Do you think that the government and business can kind of come together to find that pathway?
1: Yeah, actually, our policy suggestion to the government is actually to Combine uh, fossil fuel and renewables in order to meet the energy demand uh, from Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, based on the calculation that we made, Indonesian energy consumption will continue to increase, but at the same time, the capacity to supply the energy uh, from the oil, gas, and coal sector is not there yet because the investment that uh, the government need in order to develop the sector is not satisfactory in that sense, in mm. order to, to be able to meet the demand. So given this uh, situation, Indonesia has the policy options that you have to make, like, you know, on one hand, whether you want to continue importing with the impact, of course, for the, for Indonesia's foreign reserve, or you want to attract more investment in the oil, gas, and mining sector, and in what ways, of course, our key proposition is always policy uh, certainty, policy stability. Uh, that is very key in order to attract investors. And and of course, starting incentivize the renewable sector to grow from the policy side as well as from the price.
0: And what about foreign investors? How are they viewing the the scene there in Indonesia? Is there interest?
1: Foreign investors so far are still wait and see because of the change in the government. President Jokowi has recently re-elected, so the investors actually now wait and see where the new government policy direction is in the next uh, five years. Mm-hmm. But of course, like based on the Jokowi's campaign, he will focus more on the development of the renewable sector, especially in the using palm oil products mm-hmm. um, to produce biofuel. But of course, there is a you know, issues that have to be addressed, including environment issues, etc. Yeah. So at least from the policy sentiment, I think there is that so the government wants to shift. Uh, but of course, there's still a lot of work to do in terms of the, you know, how you're managing the risk that come with it, um as well as making sure that uh, any policy that the new government produces is being implemented from top to the bottom.
0: Yeah, and this new government has only got five years, and then you don't know what's coming after that. So you, you will want to get something better down and and get across the board, everybody backing it. What's quite interesting also is in the last few days, as we all know, Jokowi has announced the location of the new capital, Indonesian capital city, in East Kalimantan. It just struck me, East Kalimantan is of course the kind of centre of coal production in Indonesia, of coal extraction, But it's also, you know, if we want to use that term, the lungs of Indonesia or the world, really, it has an incredible amount of forest and protected areas. So there's this juxtaposition there where you have the coal extraction plus the conservation areas sitting side by side. And now you have Jokowi announcing that he's building a very large city there. How do you view this decision to move the capital to this part of East Kalimantan?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a hot domestic policy discussion here in Indonesia after he announced it during the parliamentary session on August seventeenth. Of course, the question is about first of all, you know, it will require a lot of uh, money in order to move the capital, and the second one, of course, the kind of uh, environmental impacts that uh, that movement will have on on. Especially in East Kalimantan, if that is actually the place where the capital will move to. Mm-hmm. I think you are right that like Kalimantan is is a center of mining <laughs> mining production. You of know? coal production and so many other things. So, yeah, I mean, these things have to come together before any kind of firm decision is made to move forward. But uh, uh, most people think that it will not happen in the next five years. Maybe in the next 10 years or maybe the next 15 years yeah. uh, because it's a big move, actually.
0: Yeah. From what you're saying, you don't think that the environmental impact kind of assessment has been done and that kind of due diligence yet?
1: Yeah. I, I, I don't think it, it has been made uh, properly yet. I mean, it is, it is led by the National Development Planning Agency. We have seen the plans, uh, but how that has implication on the environment and people are... Uh, we haven't
0: seen Well, Emmanuel, maybe a final question getting back to the resource sector. A few years ago you wrote a piece where you were kind of giving the Jokowi government a bit of a checklist around governance, particularly in this resource sector. How have they fared? Have things improved generally speaking around governance in the resource sector, and maybe in particular in energy production?
1: Yeah, we we wrote a piece back in 2015 After Jokowi became president, basically we introduced some key policy propositions that the government should make in order to improve the governance of the mining sector. So, one is making sure that the license allocation is conducted in an open and competitive manner. The second one is that contracts for oil, gas, and mining exploration should be made public. And the third one is that the government, together with companies, should publish the names of the ultimate beneficial owners of the companies extracting international resources. So, the good news that we, we can proud of out of these three policy propositions is the third one, because the government uh, last year already issued a president regulation on the beneficial ownership disclosures, which actually requires all these companies to disclose the real people who actually benefit from, from the companies. And then for the second policy proposition of the open contracts, actually uh, we produced a briefing note this year just to advocate for the government to open contracts. But also we just find out that there is actually no uh, legal kind of barrier for the government if the government wants to open contracts to the public. So this is something that we continue to argue for the government. the kind of benefits that the government can get so this is something that is still on our agenda that we are working together with the government with civil society uh, journalists and others mm-hmm. and also for the license allocation it is one of the weak uh, resource governance in indonesia uh, and we are still working with the government yeah especially in the mining sector uh, in many cases the companies get contracts or licenses without open and competitive bidding process. So it's first-come, first-served basis, um, and also uh, many mining licenses were given at subnational level. So lots of problems actually arises from this because lack of capacity of the local governments, and also like corruption at the local level in the licensing sector, uh, which has made the problem for governments as well. So in that sense, the Anti-Corruption Commission already to work very hard to make sure that they clean up all these licenses problem at the subnational level.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, as you're saying, there's a lot of money to be made in this sector, and even more as Indonesia continues on this growth trajectory, there's huge potential for growth and so huge potential for graft. It's got to be a priority, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Emmanuel, for speaking to us about this topic. Thank you so much
1: as well, Jim.
0: No, you're welcome. And, you know, it's very much a priority for all of us, anywhere we are in the world, but for Indonesia, it's a huge challenge and also an exciting opportunity
1: And nice to talk to you as well.
0: That was Emmanuel Breer from the Natural Resource Governance Institute. Emmanuel has worked and lived in a number of countries in Southeast Asia, and his works include topics such as resource governance, energy and mining policy. He's written, trained and provided policy inputs on these topics to governments, parliaments, civil society, corporates and journalists across Southeast Asia. He has also been invited to teach on energy policy at the Paramadina Graduate School of Diplomacy. Talking Indonesia will return on the 19th of September. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.